Sandy Jap holds the Sarah Beth Brown Endowed Professorship of Marketing at Emory University's Goizueta Business School. She has been on the faculty at Warden and MIT. So why the heck is she talking to us? Find out today on the Marketing Mad Men podcast. They say marketing is a madman's game. So now we turn it over to the Marketing Mad Men with Nick Constantino and Trip Joe. Happy Saturday. Welcome to the Marketing Mad Men. Trip Job and Nick Constantino here. And, uh, you know, we're going to school today, Nick. Uh-oh. Yeah. I tried to get out of there as fast as possible. <laughs> I, I don't know, know if I'm ready to go back. It's, it's been a while. Every now and then, uh, Emory and the Gazueta School let me back. And we are so fortunate to have a good friend of mine and um, the Sarah Beth Brown Professor of Marketing, uh, Sandy Jap, uh, is joining us today. And, uh, Sandy, welcome. It's, it's great to have you here with us. A trip, Nick. It's great to be here. Yeah, and um, you know, I think uh, what we're hoping to do today is um, we want to get a little bit of feel of what you're seeing that's going on in um, both uh, academia, but also the real world. Because uh, Sandy is not only uh, professor um, excellence over at uh, at the Gazueta School, but uh, you work with a lot of clients out there. You you've put out a lot of papers and presentations. I think we're going to get in in, the, in maybe the middle section a lot on what's going on in e-commerce. I know that's one of your specialties, but why don't you give us a little bit of background, how you got into uh, academia and wanting to uh, teach uh, this next generation of leaders? Yeah, so my story of how I got into academia is it's really just very serendipitous. I kind of fell into it. So when I was an undergrad at the University of Florida, my goal in life was to become a business person and make a ton of money. And um, so I went to business school and then I realized and I worked for a couple of years at SunBank, which is now, which then became SunTrust and then Truist. And I realized that I needed a master's degree. So I went back to school at the University of Florida because um, I don't know, there's kind of a lot of inertia. Um, in these decisions. And while I was there, the faculty kind of realized that, hey, you know, you really should be getting a PhD and your PhD material. And up until that point, I really hadn't even thought about getting a PhD. I didn't really know what people in academia did. And like Nick, I was like, you know, I'm working really hard to get out of here. And <laughs> who would want to spend the rest of their lives in here? And it gets more serious at every step. <laughs> the doctor is the commitment. I mean, yeah. you are committing. Like, it is. you might as well sign your life away in blood at that point. Because oh, you I are did. going into, yeah. yeah. I did. Five years. And, um, yeah, but, you know, on the other hand, what I've discovered is it is such a meaningful and awesome career. I, you know, I've never... I've been doing this for about 30 years now. And, you know, to be frank, I enjoy it. It gives me a lot of autonomy, independence. And the best thing is it keeps me off the streets. So <laughs> I didn't quite get that level of richness, but I'm not on the streets. Yeah. So. trying to get into. <laughs> yeah. The school of hard knocks, it oh, sounds yeah, like. Yeah. And you've been at uh, Emory for how many of your it's years? 22 now? years wow. now. I know. And um, and believe it or not, that wasn't even my first school. So prior to that, I was on the faculty at MIT in the Sloan School wow. in Massachusetts. And, you know, to be honest, I, I just hate winter. 
And yeah. so I left there and never and went back. that's a long winter up there. Yeah. It is that's forever a winter. winter. Yeah, I know. My parents have been northeast, and they're like, oh, so much pollen on the cars. I'm like, pollen on the cars? Yeah. <laughs> we had the February. What the hell are you talking about? Uh, well, I know Emory's been glad to have you, and I, I, I meet a lot of alums over the uh, the years, and uh, they've been so excited to have been in your classes. Uh, unfortunately, it shows my age that I was at Emory before you came, but uh, and it's probably a good thing, Nick, because I might not have gotten out of the class. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And, and look, I think the funny thing about academia is, is how it translates to the real world, right? You're you're setting these kids up to be successful and to go into the modern world, but the world is changing so fast. I mean, COVID has even sped up the pace of change even more so. So I think one of the things I want to establish and I'd love to talk about is, one, how you're preparing students for a future that's changing so quickly, uh, but two, those academic principles, how they relate to the real world. And you know, one thing I know about writing a paper is my wife has been peer reviewed and published. By the time it goes from theory to execution to countless peer reviews to publication, I mean, Zenny, can you correct me from two years? Two and a oh. half years? <laughs> two years is would be awesome. And, and so I mean, how yeah. how those papers and how those theories make themselves in such a changing, fast-paced world. So I think this is going to be a great episode yeah. about the, again, and in, in how you read these academic papers and what the predictions are and how it relates to somebody who's in the weeds in the real world. So I'm, I'm very excited yeah. about it. Yeah. I am too. Yeah. So what, um, you know, what do you see today and what do you you tell your students you know most of these are grad students getting their MBA um, as far as marketing and how you know how do you see them ready to help companies because I'll, I'll throw one thing out different from when I came through you know there's I would say a lack of generalist in the area of marketing and yet I think there's businesses now out there that uh, aren't big enough to have specialists and so I think that's a little bit of a disconnect I've seen the b2b world anyway yeah yeah, so it, it's there's definitely a balance. Um, there's definitely a balance. On one hand, um, you know, we have a mix of students. Some are going into large organizations where um, they won't be able to special, they have to specialize, and others are starting their own companies. And um, I guess from an education standpoint, the good news is that a lot of the basic principles of business haven't really changed. Um, the context, the setting that we do business in, as you all know, and the reason for this show is that it's like, it's not so, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, the wild, wild west, everything, everything can go and everything can happen. It's what makes it incredibly interesting. Um, and, but at the same time, yes, Nick, we're an institution and we're a group of people that change very slowly. And I can tell you at Emory, one of the things that we're doing is we are running, racing to try and keep up with that. So some of the things that we've been doing lately is we are trying to offer um, education in a way that basically students want it. Uh, more hybrid teaching, more online teaching. It gives us greater reach and access, but on the other hand, it requires you know, dinosaurs or vintage people like myself to have to relearn how we're teaching and teaching online. I teach a hybrid course. Um, I te have taught all virtual courses as well. They're they're very different beasts. And so, I think like the rest of the world, we're we're running to adjust. And um, you know, we we teach a lot of the same content, but we're trying to teach it in a format that is appealing and useful to, and meeting people where they are right now. 
I have to imagine that the pace of change is also slowed by external factors, right? Just what's been going on with the government and how they're trying to crack down on what's being taught and what's allowed to be said at schools. I just have to imagine that and parents are so much more involved. Everyone's entitled to an opinion, which is exhausting to think about. Yeah. I have to imagine. And, you know, again, I, I say my opinions as I want to. I'm just saying it's exhausting that everybody gets a voice nowadays. And I have to imagine that that, that makes it even harder because everything's got to be thought over twice and you can't offend this person. And then you got to be careful here. So I have to imagine keeping up with that pace, even as a private institution doesn't necessarily have the same state uh, guidance on it, it's still really hard nowadays. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of wokeness out there, and there is a lot of fear about what can be said. And, and again, it's a balancing act, right? On one hand, professors are very much about freedom of speech. Um, but on the other hand, you know, if you're looking at a militant student group, then, you know, you want to do the job of educating and and sharing the right principles, but at the same time, if you're going to offend people, there's just no point, right? That's not yeah. going to work either. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think it's a shame too because I think so much history in this country has started in educational systems and schools and the best things and the worst things, but I'm just saying so much has come out of it. So the fact that you feel, uh, you know, censored isn't the word, but held back from what you can say and what you want to accomplish, um, you know, I also think there's always cycles. So I think we'll, we'll end it. So what about the students? How, how have they changed? What, what are these kids like? You know, obviously you're a master's, you have high ambitions, um, probably come from a pretty well-to-do family that you're set on the right path. Why are they going to get those masters? Do they feel they have to? Are they doing it because they want to advance their careers? What is that? How has that changed? Because I think that's an important fact also. Yeah, so I'll give you my perspective. I, I don't teach undergrads anymore, but what I understand from my colleagues who do is that the undergrads that are coming in are very socially minded. They care a lot about social justice, about racial issues, and so we are finding a high demand for classes that deal with those issues. Um, I would say at the graduate level, I teach mostly working professionals and executives. And these students, more than ever, they're not, they don't always come from privileged families. In fact, a lot of them, they're paying for our very expensive tuition themselves. And as mm -hmm. a result of that, they are extremely motivated yeah. to get the most out of their education. And, and I just, I love them so much mm. for that reason. They come to class, they're prepared, we kind of move the needle on a topic, and then they go off, they think about it some more, and you know, they have a lot of work experience, and I teach marketing channel strategy, a business-to-business -business class, so having a lot of work experience, as you know, Tripp, uh, yeah. is really useful. Um, it's a very different world from B2C marketing and retailing, and, and so we have great discussions, and I just have really found it, even after 22 years, to be very refreshing and exciting. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, one of the things, um, at times I talk to businesses that are looking to hire people, and I think, you know, you hit on hit on something. Um, you can still teach people in your, your business, but what is that character or what's that drive? And when you have people who have stopped what they're doing to go back, pay for it themselves a lot of times, I think, you know, I think businesses sometimes miss that and that how how someone is going to take that drive and put it into their business. And I think there's a lot of times people look at it, oh, they just have this degree, you know, they want to be the next CEO. And I think if you dive deeper and find out more about the individual, you'll sometimes find those people who are who are really driven and can make a huge difference in your organization. 
Yeah, you're so right, Tripp. I can tell you, even at the PhD level, when we look at PhD candidates, even when we look at faculty members, you know, they all look great on paper. They all have the credentials and everything, but it's really the individual drive and the motivation. For me, historically, that's always separated the A from the B from the C students, um, like particularly at MIT. Everybody you know, as an Einstein to have gotten in there, but I still had to give A's, B's, and C's, and there really were differences, and it had to do with how much effort and motivation they exhibited. Yeah, well, I'm glad, you could, I'm glad you can still, mm-hmm. you know, in grad school, give B's and C's, because we know in high schools anymore you can't, because parents probably wouldn't allow it, but anyway, that's another topic, and uh, <laughs> when we come back from the break, um, you definitely want to catch this. We're going to dive into one of your areas, especially e-commerce. And there's a lot of people who uh, have e-commerce businesses or trying to market out there. And I think uh, you've you've got some just great stories and and papers and presentations we'll dive into. And you're listening to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3. We'll be right back. This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Now back to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3 FM. Welcome back. Trip Job and Nick Constantino here on the Marketing Mad Men with our uh, special guest, Dr. Sandy Jap, the uh, Sarah Beth Brown Professor of Marketing at the Gazueta School at Emory University. And, you know, we talked a little bit about your background and uh, I know you've because you've done several um, presentations for some of our organizations, but you know, the area of e-commerce is one that uh, I know you've you've done a lot of work. Uh, why don't you just give us Maybe just an overview. I know, Nick, you said in the in the beginning, things have changed so fast. What's What's been the landscape? How do you see it, you know, I guess maybe right pre-COVID, COVID, and now post-COVID? And, and we'll dive into a lot of different topics there. Yeah, so the e-commerce landscape has, it's always been a longtime fascination of mine. And of course, like, how can you get away from it? it it's everywhere. Um, but I will, like, take you back 100 years. So, um, you know, the Internet sort of um, started and was invented by Tim Berners-Lee at MIT around the years that I was there. And I remember um, after having joined the faculty one year that my oldest colleague on the faculty, who was at that time probably in his 70s, um, he told us that he was teaching a class on marketing in the Internet. And we all looked at him and we all thought, mm-hmm what do you know about marketing in the internet? And he's like, absolutely nothing, but this is why I'm gonna teach a class and we're gonna learn. And we looked at each other, we kind of thought, maybe there's something about this internet thing. And, you know, of course, we all moved into this area and it is, as you know, the most exciting, one of the most exciting areas, not just in marketing, but in terms of how we do business, how we exchange, how we interact, uh, not just around money, but with each other. It's um, and of course, you know, to, at the risk of stating the obvious, COVID 
just really accelerated all that change for us. It forced us, whether we like it or not, into what is now our new normal, um, which we're still kind of figuring out and adapting to and changing all the time. Uh, so, th so that has been fantastic. And as an academic, it really has been uh, a career effort to, to understand how this works, to understand how and what is changing, whether it's the players, the interactions, the time horizons. It's really been a great place to kind of park myself in my research. Yeah, I know um, it was an area that um, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it, obviously on the B2B side. But I think that, and maybe that's uh, maybe the first place to start is over the, the last few years, that accelerant, COVID. Um, I'm, I do see where B2B has to start thinking more, you know, around e-commerce. And if, what changes maybe have you seen or, you know, would you advise for businesses to think about? Yeah, I think some of the most fascinating things that are happening on the B2B side, I mean, we're going to talk about online reviews and sort of how to manage that. Well, and I'll talk about it from a B2B perspective today in terms of review platforms. But aside from that, I would say sales, uh, online sales, distribution, Amazon. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is really just, it's an amazing landscape and the speed and the acceleration of what's new, the fakery, the counterfeitness, yeah. um, and all the possibilities against the complex task, as you know already, of just managing channels, existing channels, retail channels, indirect channels. Now you've got all these rogue resellers that are doing whatever they want with your brands, with your products. It's, it's you know, it's not so. And when you think about, wow, Amazon's big, it's billions of dollars, but then you add on at a world level, Taobao, Rakuten. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not just distribution of brands, it's like the distribution of private labels. Yep. The well, largest brand yeah, and in the and world they, is become, a private label. They've all become advertisers too. Right. So one of the things, the craziest things is you go on eBay and they're advertising other stuff. You go on Amazon and they have their own ads mechanism built in. Yep. So not only are they selling you stuff, but now they're taking your data and exchanging your data also. So yep. ancillary yes. revenue sources. I mean, just the world has changed. So and one of the things you say about B2B, I find most fascinating, your digital presence presence, it doesn't even have to be your sales. You need a digital existence because your corporate structure and who you are to the world and your legacy may not match who you are on the internet. I had the pleasure, yeah. I was up, Pirelli, very famous tire manufacturer. Right. If you buy a Lamborghini, it's got Pirelli's. Formula One, Italian company, their corporate headquarters is right here. Their, their yeah. US office is right here. I was meeting with them and their strategy, because this is an old Italian company, they've just missed the boat in the past couple of years. Mm. Their internet presence doesn't reflect the prestige and prominence of the company. So what happens is, what if you don't watch F1? What if you don't, you think, oh, this is some high, but no, they make tires that same price as Goodyear tires that you could put yeah. on your car that are better performers. They missed that connection. And because of a website, because they weren't selling directly to a consumer, they didn't think that way. And now they're behind the eight ball and watching competitors pass them by. So I think your e-commerce strategy isn't always what you're selling, but it's the brand and presence in which you are showing on the internet. Now, the opposite could also be true. You could also be the worst company in the world and have the flashiest website, because yeah. we've all seen it go that way also. And usually those are the ones that are the flash in the pan. They'll do well with one product and then they go. But I think when you talk about e-commerce, I think these days it is more than just what you are selling. You're selling a legacy of yourself. And if that doesn't match who you are as a company, I think there are big problems right. there. And I want to segue from that into, I know some of your work, which is those third-party e-tailers, right? And you yep. mentioned a lot of them. People know Amazon. But, yep. you know, if you're not selling directly on Etsy. your site, 
Etsy, Rakuten, all the others. So why don't you give us a little bit of, of some of the work you've done and some of the you know, top to-dos and not to-dos in uh, you know, that third party. That's like drop shipping, yeah. right? We're talking about being yeah. like a drop shipper. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the problem of drop shippers and all these rogue resellers, so you have the problem where um, a lot of these third party people they i mean they could be they could be like a group there's actually like a group of moms right that will go around and as soon as a sale a major sale drops at a store or at costco they'll text each other everybody go out and buy the quantities and then they'll resell the stuff on ebay right so that's like so you've got organized groups like that but then you also have individuals you i teach a case in my class of um individuals who will post a posting uh, or a picture of a product being sold on Amazon on eBay and will actually charge 20 or $30 more than the listing on eBay. They don't even, I mean, these intermediaries, they don't buy and hold the product. All they do is post it out there. They take the money, they place the order. And of course this creates huge problems for the brand, um, particularly when people find out their product is from Amazon, they've overpaid and then they return it to Amazon. So it's, it's control over your brand, your reputation, your products. I would say, well, I have, of course, I could go into detail yeah. on this, but I would say some of the top things to do um, when it comes to e-commerce, and I would tell this to every small business and small, medium-sized business owner, is don't do this yourself. Right? Yeah. Don't do this at home. Um, it's a dangerous business. I think if you, know, you want to be online, if you want to be on Amazon, especially it's really, it's gonna take all you can just to monitor where your product is. Yeah. So I would say- You gotta sell a lot of it, right? You just say make it 20 oh. bucks. So to make a career, you gotta be selling 500 goods. I mean, the, the amount of time and effort, that, that is not an easy practice. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Amazon's fees are substantial. There's a reason for it. I know eBay, eBay is 15% because right. I sometimes buy and resell yeah. watches. It's more yeah. of a hobby than a business. Amazon's but you're talking worth of that. 15, 15%, yeah. yes. but you're talking, I'm exchanging $4,000 watches. Yes. So 15% is a substantial chunk of change coming out of, and then tax now. Tax was was, was left out of e-commerce for a long time. And I know because yep. I took advantage of that for a long time. All of a sudden, the transaction yeah. flips because now you're paying 8% tax and 15%. You're losing 23% no matter what you're doing on a project, purchase and a transaction. So, Yeah, yeah. And th the biggest issue is control and knowing how to sell on these platforms. Knowing how to sell on these platforms is not the same way we sell through sales forces, not no the same way we sell through indirect channels, through big box retailers, anything like that. Always an algorithm. Yes, and yeah. I, which is exactly why I would say if you want to sell on Amazon, you need someone who specializes in selling on Amazon. You want to be that sole source for the product on Amazon. You don't want to allow rogue resellers in. You may have to hire a company that all they do is just, um, just what's the word, scratch like the internet, right? Right. Uh, to make sure to monitor your prices all the time. Yeah, and which means more scrape. fees. Yeah. Now you have more. Right. Now you're paying You've more got, people yes. back, so you better have a damn good business yes. model. If yes. you're if you're if you're doling out all that money, and then at that point, is it better to just set up your own e-commerce and sell things directly yourself? I mean, it's, well, it's yeah, you always can. 
But I will tell you, that's hard too. It's it's right. The wor- <laughs> it's really the hard. World, it's very similar to the world of content monetization now, right? Like you can put your yeah. content on YouTube, sure, but YouTube's taking 50% of that money. But then to implement your own system where you have your own website, your own thing, then you don't have no chance of going viral. So it's a similar world where you have to decide between how yeah. much control you have over it and how easy it is to make things spread yeah. and go viral. Amazon's a big site. Lots yeah. of people are going on it. John's Plumbing Supplies might not have as big of a site. So I think it yeah. is a tough, and I think that it benefits those companies to set it up that it way. It gets back to a basic of marketing 101. It's what's your go-to-market strategy? Do mm-hmm. you have a strategy? Do you understand all those pieces? Should you be out there? Should you deal with distributors? Should you know yeah. those type of things? And it's really understanding that. And there's there's almost no free ride. So it's a there's matter of you know there's a matter of you're going to need to pay somewhere. What's the right place to pay and play? Yeah, and I would say more than ever now, it's also about word of mouth, right? How, what kind of word of mouth do we want to generate? Um, because if we've learned anything from social media, it's that you absolutely cannot control the word of mouth. I mean, just look at Bud Light, right? They're down twenty-one <laughs> percent. That was all word of mouth that they didn't control, right? So, and not only that, well, they, they tried. They, to control. they tried, they and tried. then they, they actually Maybe all they all they got is the one percent because they've. Torqued off 49% on one side and 49 on the other. Well, you went you know? from extremes, man. You went from one side of the political spectrum to back to the American flag and the eagle flying yeah. around in yeah. a commercial. You didn't go in the middle. You went from one extreme to the exact yeah. opposite, and then you pissed everybody, everybody off. off. And, and again, that, it goes back to the same thing. Everybody has an opinion, and right. now everybody has a platform to voice said opinions, yeah. right? Yeah. 20 years ago, something like this happened. Yeah, it would have went underground, but it went in one little town. One bar might have yeah. been pissed off. Now, the, the, the PR spread it. everywhere. Oh, there's we a couple bars in, in Alpharetta that already have, you know, they pulled two weeks ago, they pulled all Anheuser products. Well, let's say the biggest problem with that, right? Yeah. The biggest problem with that is not that it happened. It's that once you drink something other than Bud Light and you realize how bad Bud Light is, yes. they're like, oh, <laughs> there's real beer out there. Oh, yeah. my goodness. And yeah. It's not even a criticism of Bud Light. It's just light beer in general. The world has advanced so far past that there's so much good beer being made. I don't drink any of that anyway, you know, you know but, but yes. But what I'm saying, what happens, what happens when you go from Bud to Stella? It's the same company, yeah. but if you Bud Light and then you have a Stella, you go, They've been making this for 200 years <laughs> in the Czech Republic, and I'm drinking rice rice water? What is this? Sounds like you should write a review. No. no, no I drink as much Bud Light as I want. I'm just saying, it's the, that's the problem. You turn people off quickly, and they try something else in that time frame, and who's to say they're going to go back to it? Life is about, we know this, nowadays it is about getting you on that hook. Unfortunately, a lot of times it comes with a subscription that they don't put up front and they screw you with, but it's right. getting you on that hook. So once you say yes to a sample or a trial, then you forget about it, all of a sudden your credit card's being dinged with it. It's the same thing in that world. Once you try something else, what's gonna stop you from going to something else? People are not as set in their ways yep. as they were because they're being bombarded by marketing messages, 600 a day. You are every angle, everywhere you turn, you are hit by a marketing message. The good ones make it subliminal, but honestly, we're marketers. When was the last time you got subliminally marketed to? It's pretty obvious when you're yeah. being marketed to, but most people don't know that. They don't feel that. They, they're, they're subconsciously being marketed to, which right. makes it really, really hard these days. All right. So, Sandy, your your opinion on that? Uh, what? Uh... <laughs> that was a Nick rant, by the way. Oh, yeah. That was, yeah. Every now and then we always have a Nick rant, but uh, well, how do you uh, respond? I do, I do agree that you know marketing is about constant messaging, strategic messaging, you know, with with a platform, with a program, with a point of view and a perspective. Um, I think that's why I will tell you myself that I'm um, a little kind of anti-marketing messages. So I try to limit my social media. Um, I 
do not watch commercials. <laughs> I mean, I will pay companies to not make me watch or listen to the commercials. Um, and because I know it, it's it's all strategic. And yeah. as much as they're trying to make it better and more customized to the way you want to want to be marketed to, there's, you know, it's still not. And, and as new technology comes, it gets worse. So this is an example, okay? On Hulu, for example, Hulu. So I watch yeah. shows, whatever it is. I have seen more ads for for HIV for prep than anybody in the world. Like I'm talking to oh. every single commercial break. So oh. so that is such a small population that is fitting towards, yeah. the internet is supposed to be able to give you the targeting to go after the right people. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it is, and I'm, I'm talking, I'm watching programs with my kids and I'm seeing this yeah. stuff. So like that is an example of, they thought this technology was gonna be so great, but all of a sudden now, yeah. now there's probably some kind of government mandate and they're pr promoting it because they have some deal with the FDA, who knows what the deal yeah. is. But it's a good example of, I like watching marketing to say how bad these companies are doing <laughs> of reaching the right people. Like who is making that? That decision to sit and air this on a Tuesday afternoon and when I'm watching programs with my children. That yeah. is a waste of money and you're just pissing it's, people off now. Yeah, there's someone's just pushing a button. But uh, let's let's get back because I know you recently uh you know published a paper and, and we talked about it. Um, you know, from the review standpoint. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the the research? And uh, I know we Nick and I will have a bunch of questions about how uh you know what what's the applicability for uh, the listeners out there. Yeah, well, obviously, reviews are everywhere, and they are so critical to our purchase decisions. Um, getting more information and understanding, especially around things like an Airbnb rental, a vacation, a cruise, a particular wine, all of this information is, is learned from reviews, and reviews are paramount. So, but the thing about reviews, right, what do you think the number one issue is? about these reviews um are they real people are they real people yeah how could some how could a supplement on amazon that's existed for three days have six thousand reviews already right yeah exactly so the issue of fakery and in, in other words i would flip that um over and i would even say the issue of trust it's all about mm -hmm. trust can i trust these reviews can i trust the platform that is showing me these reviews and really like anything else in business how do we build that trust Right? And if you think about it, building trust online on these review platforms is really different from how we build trust face-to-face -face or how we have always built trust in business. So in business and even in our personal lives, we build trust because we've met each other at a couple of times. Like, I've met Trip. I know Trip is who Trip says he is. And, you from know, what you know. <laughs> as far as I know, yes. But this is like real-life interactions more than once. Um, and so, you know, if Trip were to tell me, hey, you know, I purchased this product and it was really good, then I'd be, I'd be like, okay, I'll trust, his, I'll trust what he's saying and I might purchase the product too. But of course online, that's not the way trust is built as, at all. But we need trust in order to make the decision based on somebody else's perspective. So a lot of companies, and today I'm gonna talk a little bit about review platforms, and by that I mean companies like Yelp, like Angie, TripAdvisor, Trustpilot, all these platforms that basically, they're not necessarily you know, selling you stuff, they're just managing information. They're managing review information from what you hope are qualified users. And what we're gonna talk about, and really what this research about is about, is how they go about building trust around those reviews, um, gaining the trust of customers yeah. to go back to that platform, 
consistently to look for review information. They're looking for people to engage with them, right? I mean, that's yes. that's Yelp's yeah, I, I think, idea. I think, is, I think rapport is the word. Like the right, problem right. is, is that when you know Trip, you have developed a rapport with Trip, which allows trust to be gained easier. What are these sites doing to build that rapport first? Yes. They're not. It is a matter of you should trust it because it's Yelp. I'll tell you right now, I know some of the top, the first three or four employees of Yelp from the very beginning. They were saying, pay us for advertising, and those one-star reviews might wink, 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 sneak away pretty quickly. And they've been gaming yeah. that system now for 10 years. And luckily, they've all left Yelp, so I can say that out loud. Yeah. Uh, but this is not a new thing. I think one of the other obnoxious things, have you ever gotten a supplement on Amazon? It actually says on the bottle, they'll, th they'll send you a free one if you give a five-star review and yep. send a picture. So yep. you, they're even telling people, they're, they're not even hiding it. They're yep. telling people they're yeah. doing it. Yep. They're not even afraid to do it. And then me, I'm like, oh, cool, I want a free bottle, but I'm never buying uh, that again. You just gamed a review. You didn't do anything. Yes. Yes. And so, in fact, I mean, there are statistics like TripAdvisor has said that 97% of the fake reviews on their platform come from friends, family, from um, companies being paid that, yeah. from financial incentives. And as customers, we all know, actually, this is maybe this is kind of a little sad statistic, but we all know that there's just so much fakery going on out there. But yeah, we still use reviews. Yeah. And in fact, there is actually a term for this. So um, researchers have determined that people have what we call a truth lie base rate, which is that we know that every, a lot of what we're seeing is lies. Um, but as long as we feel like a certain ratio of the truth is there enough relative to the lies, we continue to use that platform and rely on it for information. So we all know. Well. But it's I don't think that's there. a bad that's, thing. That not necessarily. I'll give you an example. So back in the day, you, you're in Rome. Okay, you're in yeah. Rome. And what would you do when you're in Rome? Well, if you don't know any better, you're probably going to go eat at the t biggest tourist trap in Rome, which knows it's a tourist trap. Now, what if you're in Rome, you go on Yelp, and you do restaurants nearby? You look at three with the highest reviews, and you pick which one of those three you're going to go eat at. You will always have a better experience doing that. So I think there are situations. TripAdvisor is another great one. Right. If you pop up in the middle of freaking El Paso, Texas, how the hell is you going to know what's going on? If you know <laughs> how to read the reviews and understand how to use them and you know a certain number and stars and authenticity, I think these are very powerful tools. But I also think at the same time, most people don't think through it that much. And they're falling victim to the tricks and the tactics. Is, is there right. power in numbers? Because, I mean, I look at that a lot of times. Yeah, so that's an interesting thing. And that's actually, so that's one of the questions that one of the reviewers on our paper raised is, well, is it really about what the platform is doing, what Yelp does, or is it really about mm -hmm. the reviews themselves, right? And, um, and if it is the reviews, then isn't it about the number of reviews or whether or not there's consistency and all of these things? And, you know, the short answer is that it's really not about the reviews itself. It's not about that. I mean, that plays a, an important part. But if you really want to earn the trust of customers in terms of looking at those reviews and trusting your platform, it's really about how you manage that whole thing. Now think about this, right? So if you're Yelp or you're TripAdvisor, you've got on one hand a, a huge party with consumers, right? Consumers, they come to your platform to read about and understand different products, experiences, restaurant experiences. On the other hand, another big constituency are all the businesses that are trying to sell to those consumers as well. So. What you want to do, and then, oh, there's another constituency, and that's the reviewers themselves who leave information. Hopefully, they are verified customers. And like Nick said, you're an organization, you're a company who you're making money too, 
right? So, yep. and yeah, I'm not saying that everything is clean and above the board. There are gray areas and everything. But think about how complex this is. It's not just managing a buyer and a seller. It's not just selling to a customer. It's so complex. So what you need to do as a platform, what you really have to do is you have to think about, okay, what are, I call these my sandbox rules, yep. right? If you come to my platform, how are you going to interact? What are the rules, yep. right? What am I gonna do to assure you that these reviews are trustworthy and that I'm doing everything I can to verify it? Yeah, no, I think um, one of the ones, and, and we may have to do this when we come back from the break, but um, from a product, let's get away from services. I think, you know, I think we're all kind of have a sense of that. But uh, Dick Sporting Goods is one. I buy a lot of sporting equipment, golf equipment. I will say that I use their site a lot of my research because they manage the reviews and respond. I say manage, you know, they respond to them. And, you know, if people have a complaint, they're pretty good about quickly apologizing, working to a solution. Um, to me, I think that's probably one of the areas that creates more trust. Um, when we come back, though, I, I definitely we want got to a get problem with view. that, though, Mister. That's called AI is going to be the big problem I there know. because that's going to be inauthentic soon too. So I think that's an interesting one. Segue. But uh, we're we're about to uh, to break here, but we'll we'll hit that when we come back. And you've been listening to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra One Hundred Six Point Three. Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Now back to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3 FM. Welcome back to the Marketing Mad Men. Trip Job and Nick Constantino here with uh, Dr. Sandy Jap of uh, Emory's Gazoida Business School, and we were talking about, um, like I said, I use uh, Dick Sporting Goods as an example that, you know, I think they do a good job of responding to the reviews. I don't know if, if they see enough negative reviews, they start pulling product or not, but at least they respond. So how how does that work? And and you know, within the research that you did, what's your thoughts? Yeah, so in this latest research, we kind of looked at a number of things that platforms could do to kind of try and build that trust. So that's a great example, responding to reviewers. We didn't look at that particular practice in particular, but we looked at some other practices. Like, let's just kind of um, brainstorm here for a minute, a thought exercise. What do you think a platform could do that would cause you to trust the reviews that you're reading on there to make to give you some assurances that those reviews aren't fake 
that they're not. I'm going to throw a curveball out there. I think yeah. having a brick and mortar, I think having one where you can interact with people. And I think Dick's one of the reasons they do a good yeah. job is because that brick and mortar, you can tangibly touch the product, which makes the reviews feel more palpable. And it, yes. it, the brick and mortar is probably one I would say yep. that I think can really help. Yeah, whether it's a chat bot or a, or a live customer service agent that they can yep. click on on that page where you've got the I think reviews. community involvement, somehow being involved yeah. in your local community and being someone who you see around there in the community probably would help. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So these are all, but these are all face-to-face things right. that right. companies can do, right? And so what we want to they're hard to, to know, fake. They're hard to fake. Yes, exactly. Because, well, just like in the, the old days, right, the way I earned, um, the way Trip earned my trust was because I knew him. I knew who he was. And rapport. I interacted with him several times. I had rapport. But now let's think about Yelp. Like, how do they build that community online when they don't have a brick-and-mortar arm? So it turns out some of the things they do, and when I say these things, you'll probably go, oh, yeah, I didn't know Like the notice community that. manager program and things like that? Yep. Yes, yes. So they have, they have an area where um, reviewers can talk to customers. You can ask your questions. Yep. The reviewers right. can respond. And so that's kind of hard to fake, yep. right? Because and then if the elite, it was the elite company, squad, like the elite yeah. people that are uh, at yes. a higher level. Status. So, so both my friends were yeah. community managers. And yes. I would go to the elite events and you would take people who engage the most and give them added an added exactly. level of benefits. And now they become liaisons. Yep. And so those are people you can trust. You can trust what they say. Right. Another thing they do is they'll say, well, we have a group of people, real people, and we use algorithms to monitor anything that looks fake, right? Um, you know, reviews that have incomplete sentences that yeah. don't make sense. Maybe something that looks like it's from ChatGBT. We're trying to detect all those things um, mathematically. Another thing they'll do is they'll say, well, you know what? If you're a cheating business, we're just going to tell the whole platform you're a cheating business. And we'll put it right on your your listing. Unless you're a paid right? advertiser. Uh, so. Unless you're a paid advertiser. <laughs> is there an icon that denotes a cheating business? Yeah, yeah we gotta come up. I mean, that would be great to come up with that yeah. so you people know that. Oh, Some hey, this one has been identified yes. as questionable. Or this one's been removed. Right, removed right? or questionable. Yes, removed because of fakery or something like that. So we looked at all of these different things. And the other thing, the last thing they, they um, will do or that we looked at is this idea of, well, if you're going to post a review, post your picture, right? post your name, and where, you know, the city and state. Yeah. Right? So a picture of me, Sandy, Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and so the idea is that then people will think, well, okay, that's not it's not Chat GPT. Well, it could yeah, be. could be, but it, it's you know, but at least it looks like it could be a real person. Yes, yeah. and some people yeah. do the verified purchase where yes. it's got to be connected to yes. your login right. or something that you actually made that purchase. Yes. Which again, sounds easy in theory, but probably the back end of that is not as simple as we think it is. Right, right. Oh, none of these things are actually easy mm-hmm. to create. So the question in this research was really, okay, well, which of these practices? We see lots of them. We see all of them when you look at the marketplace. But which ones are really the most effective? And what do you need and what don't you need? So I'm going to give you guys five choices. It's a multiple choice test. All right. Do it. And you tell me which you think are the most, impor- the most important. First one is monitoring, just using algorithms and people to detect fakery. The second one is exposure, labeling the bad players, the bad sellers, maybe even the bad reviewers. The third one is status, giving reviewers status. Uh, the fourth one is kind of a um, Q&A uh, community between allowing reviewers 
to talk to customers and customers to ask questions. And then the last one is identity disclosure. So revealing who you are, posting a picture. Which of these things are the most important? Or you can even rank order which one. The most think? effective from the, the research you've done. In gaining in, trust. In gaining trust in the reviews and in the platform and what's going I, I on I would there. put Q&A last probably because that's an easy one to fake in my head. Yep. Okay. Um, I would say that the uh, having commu- like the community people have have those people like those elite people would probably be one of the top two. Status, Status okay. is one of the top two. Um, Trip, I think, I think identity is probably going to be in the top two as well. I think you know my only thing with community, I think it's great, is just sometimes I don't want to go that deep, you know. So well, it just I, I think the community gives you that feel feel of a connection, yeah. and and I think people just in this day and age long for a connection. I think yeah. most people in you know political yeah. parties just you long for a connection in a group, and as we get yeah. more separated from people, really socially face to face, it gives you that false sense of you're in a social situation. Yeah. So I think monitoring is important. I just don't know that people understand it, so that may be in the middle. So yeah. Yeah, I think monitoring is actually pretty high. Yeah. I think that if you're if you're monitoring yeah. and you're really genuinely monitoring it because your yeah. interest is to make this a better platform, I would probably put monitoring in yeah. top three. I would say um, I would say monitoring two. I would say um, your ID identity check is number yeah. one. I would say three would be Q and A. I would say no, I forgot four, and then five yeah. would be the um, the Q and A. Yeah, the, no, three is community. Five is Q and A. So we have the drum beat. Wait, and the answers. And what about you? Do you agree with I, that, Trip? Um, again, I think identity is one. I think I think monitoring is important. I just don't know that people understand that, so I, I don't know if that's gonna that's gonna be three or four in my uh, okay. my view. So what you got? All right, drum so, roll. I'll put drum the drum roll, roll in after. It'll be an after effect. Okay, good. So it turns out that identity is actually the weakest thing no you way. can oh, do. Wow. Is, yes. it, is it weak because it hasn't been figured out how to be done the right way? Is it weak or people just don't want to do it? Because I would imagine if it's done the right way, it would be just powerful. It's just I don't see it often. Right, right. So it's weak because the other four, the effects of the other four are so much better and so Cheaper. much more effective. Right. right, and probably easier to implement. At creating trust, right? Yeah. So the number one thing that you can do to create trust is to communicate. And so this applies, okay, so this applies for Yelp, TripAdvisor, but even if you have a review section for this show yep. or for any company, any place where people are leaving reviews, if you just advertise and re- and let them know that, you know what, we regularly check these reviews. We are trying, we're, we strive to make sure that the reviews are authentic. We do this with the use of humans. We do this through the use of algorithms. Believe it or not, that is the most effective thing you can do. It's even more important than what the reviews are saying themselves. Because, do you have a good example of a company because, that does that, that really stood on the research? Is there oh, one that yeah. comes to mind that really oh, does yeah, a good yeah. job of that? Yeah, um, so, well, a lot of the companies that we interviewed, like Trustpilot, um, Yelp, they do, they do that. Okay. TripAdvisor, they're doing that. And so a lot of companies um, like do this. It's one of the most common things to do. It's actually the most effective. The second most effective thing you can do is to expose the bad players, to say these firms, okay, this restaurant, a lot of its past reviews were generated by the workers (laughs) in the restaurant, right? Um, Or were paid for by a company. So to shame them, right? That's the second best thing you can do. 
And identity exposure is actually the weakest. And the real the reason why is because all these other things, even like status is a better thing to do to give reviewers um, best reviewers status or even to just allow reviewers and um, customers, potential customers to talk to each other. That's even better um, because all of these other things, they go they go more directly to just reducing fakery, making it hard oh. to do, right? Um, identity so, disclosure, you could just, yeah, you could be putting anybody's picture out there. Yeah, no, Sandy, this was fantastic. I'm going to make sure we list the order when we do the, yeah. um, when we uh, release this on LinkedIn so that everyone has that. No, let's that. do it as a poll so, first and let's yeah. see what the general people okay. say. Okay, that, that'd be a great idea. That. We'll do that. Um, so, uh, if, they this got a, been, if they just botched it as bad as you and I did. Yeah, <laughs> no, so that's a I great idea. I love that you guys are marketing experts yeah. and you took this test. Very we, we brave. We failed, yeah. Very so, brave. Uh, again, Sandy Chap, um, Professor, Sarah Beth Brown, Professor of Marketing at Emory University. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3. Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.